Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. Rio Bravo? More like Bravo, Matt Fraction and David Arger. I'm sorry, that was by far the worst thing I've ever said. Every time I take a ride, I feel alive with nowhere to go. I'm the king of the road. You're the queen of my throne. Hello, and welcome to a PhD student reads episode 11. The first one of 2021. Well, the first proper one of 2021. So, welcome back. Happy New Year, and we will pick up where we left off in December as we have reached the final chapter of the Fraction Aja Hawkeye Run, Volume 4, Rio Bravo. I'm not going to lie, say it straight away, this is the best one. It's amazing. They really (laughs) end on a high. There is a Volume 5 Hawkeye, but the creative team is different. And as this show is focused on reading complete runs, I will not cover it here, he says. Maybe one day I'll read it, but present day me is telling you now that Hawkeye Volume 5 is not going to be next month. Speaking of next month, for just a moment, as we have reached a run, uh, there will be a poll up on Twitter at PhD Reads, where you can vote. I will choose three of my ever-growing backlog stack. Um, and you can vote on which one we should start next. Probably Jinx by Brian Michael Bendis will be on there, because it was on there last time, and I've owned it for ages, and it's just it's big. So, need to get get through it at some point. But... Let's not talk about the future. Let's talk about the present and Hawkeye Volume 4. First published by Marvel Comics on the 29th of July 2015 and collects issues 12, 13, 17, 19, 21 and 22. Where those missing numbers are, I don't know. What they're about, I don't know, to be honest. Perhaps there were crossovers at the time. I honestly cannot tell you. But as usual, we have an assortment of creative talent spread throughout the book. It's, of course, all written by Matt Fraction. On issue 17, we have Chris Eliopoulos on art, with a couple of pages drawn by David Arger and Jordi Belair as the colourist. For issue 12, Francesco Francavilla is the colourist and the artist, taking on all the duties there. And in the remainder of the issues, David Arger back with... Uh, the art, and Matt Hollingsworth doing the cover. Uh, not cover, colour. Chris Eliopoulos is the letterer throughout the entire volume, with some help from Arja on issue 19, which we will get to when we get to it. As with the previous volumes, the numbering makes little to no sense to me, so we kick off the volume with number 17. And what a fantastic issue it is. For those of you who follow the show on Twitter, again, at PhD Reads, please do follow the show there, 
You would have seen a tweet where I exclaimed that I had just read the best issue of Hawkeye. Issue 17 was that issue. So you may remember back in Volume 2, after a mishap with an arrow, Clint ended up watching some cartoons with Simone and her children. Remember that? Well, this issue shows just what those cartoons were, sort of. The show is Winter Friends and stars a team of holiday-themed animals, such as Santalope, Menorable, and my favourite, Kwanzaa Gator. After being defeated by a summery foe, they call upon the help of their dog with no powers, Steve. Steve has a brother called Herman and a friend named Lil, but he'd rather save the Winter Friends all by himself. He doesn't need help, and even when they are attacked by some tracksuit-wearing wolves, he doesn't need help. I think you'll probably see where this is going. This is a Hawkeye issue, after all. After being helped by some fellow canines who look suspiciously like Black Widow, Mockingbird and Spider-Woman, he runs off to save the Winter Friends, again, all by himself. He doesn't need no help does Steve, but in the end he learns to accept his friends, and together they all well, team up and save the day. So David Arger draws the first and the last non-cartoon set pages, and that's fine, it's typical David Arger affair, you know, not saying it's bad, but when it's consistently good, what else is there to say? But everything within the show is Chris's time to shine. It's bright, it's animated, obviously, and... Even though they are cartoon dogs, I still think they are just as expressive as superheroes of the non-four-legged variety. Hell, I think I'd read the entire volume of The Winter Friends and their holiday-themed shenanigans. But what a way to start a volume. It was just so good. And I keep finding myself just going back. So there's a big splash page of... The Winter Friends and their rather amusing names. And I keep just going back to look at it and be like, yes, this this is what I want out of my comic books. Obviously, I do prefer, I do like the uh, grittier things too, but something like that, which deals with a somewhat of a serious subject matter in a, in a light-hearted way and ties into... The narrative, sort of. You know, it's, all good. it's good to me. More of that, please. Admittedly, this was published in 2015, so I'm sure there has been many more of that in the meantime. Anyway, the remaining issues form a cohesive narrative that wraps up Fraction's story that began in well, Volume 1. This begins with Issue 12, and boy, is this issue beautiful. Frank Avila's art is, I can't think of a better way to describe it, temperate. And I don't mean this in terms of time, but I mean in terms of temperature. I'm sure there's a proper art word for this, but temperate is what I have gone with. Lots of deep blues, oranges, yellows, with strong black outlines. The issue itself focuses on Clint's brother, Barney Barton, a.k.a. Trickshot, entering Clint's life um, once more, and then using flashbacks to inform us of the miserable childhood the Barton brothers' hand had, especially at the hands of their, well, father. We get to see 
Barney's first run-in with the tracksuit mafia as he returns to New York City to meet his brother and show off the good archery skills clearly run in the family. We get scenes of the two young boys via these flashbacks learning to fight, learning to smash bottles by flicking coins, but it ends in the present day with the two brothers hugging and it's just nice to see. It's somewhat of a filler issue but we needed this bond between the brothers to be established for what comes later to Matamor. And as I said, it's beautiful. Breathtaking even. But it doesn't, no panel there takes the panel of the show award because that's right, I've actually remembered to do it this time. But that's that's for later. Issue 13 follows and is entirely focused on Clint and the immediate aftermath of Gil's death at the end of Volume 2 at the hands of the clown. We see Clint telling Gil's dad. We see the two Barton brothers coming together, this time from Clint's point of view rather than Barney's. We see the fight that takes Kate and Nucky to LA again. We see the community of that entire building that Clint owns coming together over loss of a man that means something to all of them because you know they're big on their rooftop parties and to top it all off we get the emotional punch where we see Gil's dad now barbecuing on top of the roof. Issue 15 titled Fun and Games does highlight something that frustrates me a bit with Fractions writing. It seems like every volume we get an issue where the events take place out of chronological order and this is that issue here. The thing that I'm ringing it up now because for this issue it's not really necessary. Something happens at the beginning, there's a fight between Clint, Barney and the Traxic Mafia and then it cuts back to just before that and then it wraps up the fight You know, a few pages later. It would have been just as good if you know, the middle part, which is technically the beginning, was just at the beginning, and then the fight just happens in order. But what this issue does offer is the various threads that have been left hanging starting to become fewer but thicker threads. We see Bobby and Natasha starting to piece together the various members of the tracksuit mafia and who the clown is. We see Jessica and Clint start to get closer again. And we see the brothers well, fighting together and the beginning of a relationship between Barney and Simone. However, it's the end of this issue which matters most. After figuring out that the tracksuit mafia are getting into the building via the roof, Clint sprints up there only to get an arrow through his head and Barney, just a few steps behind, gets shot. And then we get a single panel, a big four-page panel of the two brothers lying on the ground with Jessica Drew just stood over them. Something, I think Arja's style of drawing and the paler colours that go with it suit this sort of panel, I think. You know, it's all, nothing is over, there's no bright reds or, you know, you can't. There's no you know, massive pools of blood everywhere. It's all very, very muted and somewhat more 
serious, and that's one of the reasons why I like David Arsh's art. So we learn through issue 19 that Barney is now wheelchair-bound and Clint is deaf. So Clint has given up, but by the end he's standing on the roof of his building, talking to his community, his family, as they are sometimes referred to, rallying them for the fight that is soon approaching, having learned from his past mistakes and is actually asking for help, not just from the people in the building, but from Jessica, from from the people that mean the most to him. However, what I want to focus on in this particular issue is how it plays with the comic book format in terms of the art and the lettering. So as Clint is now deaf, most of the issue is silent, with many of the speech bubbles being completely blank. But as Clint begins to accept this and begins to lip-read, the style changes to square bubbles, with errors in, with these, as Clint tries to figure out what people are trying to say. So there are letters and words in square brackets, which are the correct interpretation of what's being said, but also question marks and just normal curly brackets, I guess that's what they called, curly brackets, just normal brackets of things that Clint thinks they might be saying. Um, and when so Clint doesn't do much speaking, but when he does, the letters are drawn by Arja, so a different style from the normal Eliopolis letters that you know throughout the rest of the uh, the volume. Again, highlighting that Clint is different now. There's also plenty of sign language between the two brothers, as deafness is something they've experienced temporarily as a result of the abuse from their father. Entire panels are dedicated to what I presume is ASL. I'm, I'm not a uh, sign language expert, so it would, make, it would make a lot of sense if it's ASL. There's no translation as to what they mean, but for those people out there that do speak ASL, I feel like you know, they're getting more out of this issue than the normal reader. But does that mean that this issue is hard to follow and the plot doesn't really make any sense? Absolutely not. The again on top of the art by David Arger and just you know, there could have been it could have been an entire issue with no speech, much like back in volume one where we had the issue focused on Lucky the Dog. There was no dialogue in that but it was still perfectly understandable but they chose not to do that here but add in these sign language elements which I feel elevated above uh, just a normal silent issue I suppose at this point Arger and Faction had won an Eisner award sort of the comic book Oscars so to speak and it's issues like this that really highlight that the acclaim that follows this run around is absolutely deserved. Issues 21 and 22 make up the Rio Bravo part of the volume, so the part of the volume where the volume actually takes its name, and is where all the action takes place, where all the threads have been kept hanging over the past four volumes are tied up in what I think is a 
satisfying way. We see members of the community that we've seen throughout the past four volumes just here and there defending their homes. We see the red dodge that was washed away in a hurricane, but seems perfectly fine now. Make her appearance, and importantly, we get the return of Kate Bishop. Putting up to the building that now looks like a war zone, Kate and Lucky explode onto the scene in what I am giving the Panel of the Show Award. It's the two characters in a silhouette against a pale yellow explosion. It's not a full page, it's just a single rectangular panel after Kate has fired an explosive arrow into a group of tracksuit mafia goons. It's just the two of them... It kind of reminds me of... Remember Terminator Dark Fate? No, probably not. But in, I haven't seen it, but in the trailer, there's a bit where Sarah Connor blows up something and then walks away from the explosion in somewhat of a silhouette. It reminded me of that, which I guess is offensive to this panel, and maybe... But it's a good panel, I promise. Um, I'd say the best panel of the volume... We also get, of course, a bloody showdown between the clown and Clint, with poor, poor Lucky taking a bullet in the crossfire. There's very little speech as these two pummel each other, and just as it looks like Hawkeye is about to meet his maker, Kate Bishop is there, and together, only together, can they take him down, because that's when Hawkeye is at his strongest, when there is not just one, but two. At the end of the run, there are some new threads left dangling because this was an ongoing book. As I said, there is a volume 5 with a different creative team. There are further mysteries involving Penny, the redhead that really kicked this entire thing off, I suppose. I mean, the car and the whole... Yeah, I mean, it's all her fault. We have mysteries involving the New York silly criminal underbelly and how they want to take out the two Hawkeyes and how this relates to Kate and with Barney Barton and his new family with Simone. The, the volume ends with the two Hawkeyes shooting arrows ready to face the future and don't worry, Lucky is fine. He does appear at the bottom of a panel in a bandage but most definitely still alive. So there you have it. That's it. We've completed our second full run of comic books. We've got Snyder's Batman. We've had some one-offs here and there. And now, Fractions, Hawkeye is done and dusted and can move from my uh, enormous backlog pile to my shelf. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at PhD Reads. Again, there'll be a poll going up as this episode posts with three choices for uh, what you may want me to cover next. You can support the show financially at supporter.acast.com forward slash phd dash student dash reads. You don't have to, nobody does, and that's absolutely fine. But maybe one day this show will be of a reasonable quality that you'll deem it worthy of your finances. You can tell your friends, tell your family, maybe even tell people you hate. Maybe that's maybe that's the thing. Subject the people you dislike to this uh, poorly produced, terribly hosted show. Spread the word. That's what people say, isn't it? 
then more people will listen, and then maybe the show will get better. So really, you're doing it for yourself. Speaking of making the show better, things are afoot. Possible guests, possible co-hosts, so it won't just be me. But they haven't quite come together just yet. But hopefully soon, by February, there may be another voice. Let's hope, huh? Fingers crossed. But there you have it. Thank you very much for listening once again. This has been the PhD Student Reads. I've been Daniel Underwood, the titular PhD student. I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Every time I take a ride, I feel alive with nowhere to go. I'm the king of the road. You're the queen of my throne. Riding high, day and night, satisfied wherever we roam. You're the star of the show. You shimmer like gold Now baby, let's ride